With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Way. Back with you guys for another episode of our Press Box show. The show in which I'm joined by our colleagues from over at Football.London. I'm joined by Kaya Karnak. How are you doing, mate? Are you well? I'm good, mate. Thank you. How about yourself? Yes, very good, mate. Very good. Getting through the week. And I mean, it's strange, isn't it? We waited so long for the Crystal Palace game. It came round after an eternity. And then yeah. it wasn't as enjoyable as we were hoping it to be. <laughs> and yet this game has flown around incredibly fast after just three days. Yeah, it's a weird one, isn't it? The Monday, Friday fixture list. I don't, I guess, because everyone else is in Europe this week is sort of how it's going to work. I think just that's going to be the perils of not being in Europe. Also, I'm just going to have to deal with that. A lot of Saturday, three o'clock kickoffs, Monday night, Friday night. As the probably the biggest team outside of Europe, it's just something that Arsenal are probably going to have to deal with is the way the TV fixtures work, I guess. Yeah, I mean, we have obviously been used for a long time to playing two games in a week, so we shouldn't complain too much, but we don't want to see yeah. this being two league games in a week. We want to see us back in Europe. And just to kind of get your thoughts, because we haven't spoken since the, the Palace game, so... How did you feel about the display? And was you surprised at kind of how lacklustre it was? Yeah, I think... So Arsenal have had a lot of poor displays this season, which is uh, depressing to say because it's only about 10 games in. But um, I think the the Palace game personally worried me more than any game I've seen this season, just because mm. with um, those games at the start of the season, you look at Brentford, Chelsea, City, there were always those mitigating circumstances, players out due to covid uh, injuries, all that kind of stuff. Last night, there was no excuse. Arteta, except for maybe Granit Xhaka, which some people would argue shouldn't be in Arsenal's first team anyway. I wouldn't necessarily argue that myself. But I agree. <laughs> he, yeah. Um, he had his first choice side, pretty much. That's the only injury that he had to deal with. And Arsenal still put in a display and it was just about good enough to get a draw against Crystal Palace. And if you're a side that's got designs on challenging for Europe, being at the top of the Premier League table, which is what... Stan and Josh Kroenke tell us the aim is, is what Mikel Arteta tells us the aim is, is what Eddie tells us the aim will be eventually. Mm. Those kind of performances are good enough. And um, when the attack is unimaginative, as it seems to always be at the minute for Arsenal, you need the defence to be watertight. And it wasn't Thomas Partey made an error. Albert Sambi Lekonga made an error. I think Aaron Ramsdale probably could have done better for the second goal. Ben White, same. Gabriel could have done better for the first goal. And these are young defenders. They're going to make mistakes like that. Same with Ramsdale as a young goalkeeper. So, when you've got an inexperienced side like that, I think it's always a risk to be as ineffective going forward as Arsenal are. And once they got the goal, I was thinking, fantastic. They're in head, mm. they're going to go on, they're going to seize the initiative. And it never happened. We, we were left waiting. And that's not the first time that's happened for Arsenal this season. They've, they've started games well quite a lot. I think the same happened against Burnley, where Arsenal started really well and then tailed off. Uh, same up against Norwich, even though the goal came in the second half then. Arsenal started mm. well tailed off so it's a real problem for Arsenal and something I don't really see that has improved under Mikel Arteta and I think if there's something similar tomorrow night I think for me at least it'll be a lot more justifiable if the Emirates having seen two performances that were really poor within the space of a week it does get a little bit less of a nice place to be because it's been pretty positive the past few weeks everyone's happy to be back but 
I don't know if we'll see the same if Arsenal um, play as poorly as they did on Monday again tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be at the Emirates on Friday and I, I'm looking forward to going because it's actually my first time this season I'm being able to be there. But it's it's going to be an increasingly, as you say, more difficult and apprehensive place to, to go to is, is probably a good word. And the it's interesting you bring up those games because I, I actually throw Spurs into the middle of that as well. The difference between Spurs and those games was obviously... We saw it and we did an analysing Arsenal show with Josh Williams from, from our reach scouting department and he picked up on the point that when Arsenal score, the tactic has been to kind of sit back and hit on the counter. Against Spurs, it worked. Our second and third goal came from from counter-attacks and it's not it's not happened in, in the other games against Crystal Palace we saw. We, sit, we sat back. I mean, if you look at the statistics passing-wise between the first 15 minutes of that first half and then the following half an hour... We quadrupled the number of attempted long passes. We have less passing accuracy. We have less passes overall. We have less passing sequences. It's a strange tactic that Arteta's choosing, to, you know, once he's got a lead in a game to, to change things and to not, you know, press on. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great set of stats there. Um, I need to, need to talk to you about afterwards about where to, where to get a hold of them. But um, yeah. yeah, it's pretty damning for Arsenal. But I think what was interesting for me, at least, and I agree, I've, I've noticed those... Um, patterns throughout Arsenal's play but after the game Mikel Arteta was very insistent that wasn't what he wanted to see from his team he was saying look I, I was upset that we lost composure I was disappointed that um, we took our foot off the gas and mm. he said today in his morning press conference ahead of the Villa game if Arsenal played like they did in the first 20 minutes he's happy if they played like they did in the second 20 minutes of the first half then he's a bit more concerned and I think that's that's the right case but then again that creates the question if, if that's not a tactic, then why are Arsenal retreating after scoring a goal? Because psychologically, it doesn't make any sense for a team mm. who have in the ascendancy, they've scored the goal, and then suddenly they're backtracking, they're going long, they're panicking on the ball, they're not playing out from the back, they're not pressing anymore. Uh, I, t- I, don't, I don't really understand it, but I think, again, that comes down to a young team and inconsistency is something you have to expect and also have one, one of the youngest, if not the youngest team in the Premier League. So that's going to happen throughout a game, but they need their manager to help them through those difficult times. And I just wonder if that is something that maybe they're struggling with a bit and maybe um, they need a bit more encouragement from the touchline just to see them through those difficult patches. And I don't know how you address that if I got the chance to ask Mikel I would um, but I didn't get to ask him this morning hopefully I'll be able to ask him about the game although if Arsenal mm. after the game sorry but if Arsenal win then I probably will ask him a nicer question than that but, um, <laughs> yeah I, I just I don't know I think um, I think yeah he needs to he needs to work on it I'm not 100% sure in my mind how you fix that overnight I think that's a long term thing that needs to come slowly but surely but I, I don't think Mikel Arteta can necessarily afford in terms of fan atmosphere and sentiment right now to be playing for the long term, Arsenal need results and they need to be higher in the league than 12th position, which is not good enough for a team like Arsenal. So it's a really fine balance and I find myself sort of holding back on going overly critical because you have to remember Arsenal haven't actually lost a game since August. That's pretty mm. good. So maybe it's a bit too much to go as overboard as maybe we are, but I think we can all see it coming. We can all see these problems coming and we all want Arsenal to succeed. So it's frustrating when they're not able to dominate games as much as They could, and the manager seems to be able to identify that that's an issue, but they haven't worked out how to fix it just yet. 
it's really going to be an intriguing tactical balance against against Villa on Friday and how we tackle it. And there's some big decisions that have got to be made for team selection. And if we do change things, because we've tried to do the same thing a lot in the games, and especially the last few games with the, the lineups only been tweaked ever so slightly and it's not improving. So maybe some bigger changes are going to be necessary. You touched upon Lukonga and, and Partey making individual mistakes, which led to those goals. There were some errors in the, in the defence leading up to the, the goals going in, but Lukonga being such a, a young guy has come in to replace uh, Granite Xhaka through his injury. Uh, Mikel Arteta has, has wanted to give him opportunities and, and probably more than we expected him to at the start of the season when he was signed as, as such a young prospect and probably has thought of being a bit of a backup to Partey rather than his, his long-term partner immediately. How would you manage that situation? Do you think that it's worth maybe deferring to a more experienced Mohamed Elneny or trying a Maitland Niles? Or do you think it's worth sticking with the young guy and, and letting him get an opportunity to prove himself better again? So it's a really difficult question. Um, I don't think Mohamed Elneny is the answer personally. Um, I think, <laughs> yeah, and that's not that's, that's come across disrespectful. I don't mean for it to. I think he's 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 been a great servant to Arsenal over the years. But I just think, in terms of where Arsenal's midfield are trying to go and the amount of creativity Mikel Arteta is trying to put in to the side, if you're struggling to create chances, Mohamed Elneny is not the person you bring into the midfield to solve sure. that. I think Samuel Lukonga is a player who's better equipped to deal with that. I just. <laughs> I don't know if he's the guy in a midfield double pivot alongside Thomas Partey. I think that's becoming a little bit clearer. I think mm. he's himself, and I've mentioned this on the show, I think, before, and you told me that Nicholas Benton said, he's the best player, said he was the best player in the world, but Sambi Lukonga views himself as a number eight, not a number six. So he likes being further up the pitch. And I think it's better for a young player to be a little bit further away from your own goal, just because if you make mistakes, then there's less at stake. Um, so for me, I, if I was asking uh, Mikel Arteta, I would play uh, Thomas Partey as a, as a six and then have Erdegaard and Sambi as the eights either side of him and I've, I've moved Smith Rowe out to the left. And you mentioned the, the team selection being relatively similar. I think that's just because Arsenal have quite a settled lineup. I think the, the Bukayo Saka injury, if he is injured, um, blows that wide open. I think Lacazette's form blows that wide open as well. So there's lots of different ways Arsenal can look to combat it. I, I would involve Sam Conga in the next game just because I think Arsenal need a bit of creativity and forward passing and I think he offers that better than Mohamed Elneny or Angie Maitland-Niles even though I think Maitland-Niles has got it in his locker I just think Sam Conga is is better in that position so yeah that's that's what I go for um, people might disagree and I saw Sam getting quite a lot of stick on social media which I thought was a little bit harsh after the error but he seems like quite a resilient guy He's, he was captain of Anderlecht age 21 you don't do that unless you've got a bit of character about you so I think yeah. he's capable of bouncing back and I think he should be given the chance to Absolutely. You mentioned Lacazette there and that was one of the big key focuses of Mikel Arteta's press conference today was after his goal and the influence and obviously he was geeing up the crowd during the game as well and that connection that's there and there's videos that have surfaced on social media of his celebration very much up close to the camera as well which is I, I enjoy seeing that passion and, and still despite his future not necessarily being so certain. That, that connection and wants for Arsenal to succeed is clearly there. What did you make of Arteta's responses to the questions around his future? And do you think that the plan of him at leaving on a free is, is changed somewhat at all? I don't think the plan's changed. Uh, I think we've been reporting on Football at London since the end of the transfer window, since August, that um, Arteta, well, not Arteta, sorry, Lacazette has basically decided that he wants to see out his final year at Arsenal um, and then see what happens after that. Um, whether Arsenal are going to offer him a new contract, it doesn't look likely. I think if Arsenal were going to do it, 
they might have done it already. And I think if you look at the age profile where Arsenal are going in terms of their transfers and their recruitment, Lacazette's 30. Every single signing Arsenal made in the summer is 23 and under. So it doesn't quite make sense in that front unless they give him maybe a one-year extension. But then would he be willing to accept that at his stage in his career? So there's lots of different Mm. things that need to be sorted out. I think Arteta didn't rule it out. And so I wasn't surprised by that because if he comes out today and says, oh, Lacazette's not getting a contract no matter what he does, he can go and score 50 goals this season. He's never going to get a contract. He's entered with Arsenal. Lacazette, he's a professional and he's shown he's, he's very devoted to the cause, but it's, it's hard to motivate yourself to play to the best of your ability if you know you're going to be leaving at the end of the season. It's very difficult to devote yourself to a cause, which is a long-term project, if you know you're never going to be able to see it through. So I think Arteta handled it quite well. He was asked a lot of direct questions, which I thought were good, sort of testing him. Uh, can Arsenal cope without Lacazette? He said, well, he's our player, so we don't need to cope without him, which I thought was quite a nice sidestep. Yeah, and yeah Arteta's quite good at dealing with those kind of um, difficult transfer questions. I don't think the plan's going to change. I don't think if Lacazette plays really well this season, I don't think it's going to make any difference. I think Arsenal have chosen that they're going to move on from him in the summer. Um Again, I don't think I can see him starting uh, tomorrow night against Aston Villa on Friday night. I think Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is the captain. He's been sent forward the whole season. If you move him back out to the left wing, because you're not going to drop him if he's the captain. So if you move him out to the left wing uh, to replace Saka, who may or may not be injured, what does that say to your plans for Aubameyang? Are you moving him in and out? That sort of doesn't look great. And then Lacazette will come in at the number nine. And then if he doesn't play, moving Aubameyang back to the middle again. And I'm tying myself up in knots here, just getting confused. I think... (laughs) Lacazette is a great player and I think he's done a lot for Arsenal and I think he gets a lot of stick and he looks more mobile and he looks more sharp than ever before I've, I've noticed that he's been he, he sometimes kind of look a bit leggy I didn't think he looked like that on Monday I thought he looked really up for it but I don't think he's going to start tomorrow night I think if he's going to be involved it'll be off the bench again and if Arsenal really do need him then maybe we'll see him come on but I don't think um, Mikel Arteta is going to involve him in the team even though he did score even though he did basically change the game on Monday night I think I just don't see unless Arsenal change their formation which I don't see happening either to play two up front I don't think that him and Aubameyang are going to play together because it seems like Arteta has decided Aubameyang is his number nine so it's harsh on Lacazette and um, yeah Yeah, it's, it's really it's, it is harsh because you think about it. I mean, he's come into the team and he's scored, um, and we've had issues with goal scoring. And I've, I mean, I put a piece out earlier today looking at kind of uh, an alternative style of of trying to fit both Aubameyang and Lacazette in, and and how that might look and how that might work. It, it is difficult and you've also got this fine balancing act of wanting to give minutes to players that are going to be here in the long term and whether that's giving Lacazette a few weeks. I mean, he's going to arguably get a few weeks in January because of the African Cup of Nations, which is something that I did want to touch upon in, in a second. One of the other key players that could with Bukayo Saka injured um, and we it's funny because we talked about this on a previous show and you said that he would be one injury away from knocking on the door of the first team again and that's Gabriel Martinelli. Uh, do you get a sense that with the game just four days after Monday's performance, which was a high intensity, a lot of output went into that, that Martinelli could actually get a chance to start this fixture? It depends where he decides to play in Millsmith Road. So if uh, Arsenal go 4-3-3, then yes, he's got every chance of starting on the left wing if Saka is out. Um, I think because Millsmith Road in the 4-3-3 formation tends to play on the right-hand side and Erdegaard plays in the left in the Xhaka role. Uh, if Arsenal play a 4-2-3-1, then Emil Smith-Rowe, for me, will play on the left. And then there's no place for Martinelli in the side because he's not going to play up front ahead of Aubameyang or Lacazette. And he's not going to play on the right wing 
ahead of Nicola Pepe, and I don't think that's his best position anyway myself. So it all depends on what um, formation Arsenal go for. There's definitely a chance he could play. I don't think he will. Um, I think that Arsenal will, will go for a Mosbethrow on that left wing, and I think it will be maybe a, a 4-2-3-1 with Sam Villaconga and Party in midfield, Erdegaard in that number 10 role, combining with Pepe. Um, I think that's what they'll go for, because it just seems to make the most um, sense, just given the players available and what we know about what Mikel Arteta has done in the past. Um, it's harsh on Martinelli, maybe. I thought he was quite good in the nine-minute cameo he got against uh, Palace. And I think a lot of people seem to echo those sentiments. I saw some people saying that like, he was playing like prime Ronaldinho or something. Maybe a bit <laughs> over the top, but... No, that's just the nature of social media. There was that bit but... in the corner, wasn't there, where he was, like you earlier, were tying himself in knots, basically. With exactly. What he was doing. exactly. <laughs> and exactly. yeah, he was struggling to get out of that position. It would be great. I know he's a bit, very much a fan favourite and he's got a bit of a cult following at Arsenal. He was quite disappointing, I thought, in the opening games, but he didn't really get the service in, in either of those two fixtures against Brentford and Chelsea, especially against Chelsea. Um, but we know he's got talent. We know he can pop up with a goal. We know he's capable of doing something special. And Arsenal might need something special to beat Aston Villa on Friday uh, and get the ball past a certain Emmy Martinez uh, between the Aston Villa sticks. Uh, that, the the narrative that always crops up, the man that loves to have a, a good conversation about Arsenal when he's, he's given the opportunity. I was speaking to Chris Davison on our Arsenal Agenda show this morning and I, I put to the question to him, if you had the chance now to swap Emi Martinez for Aaron Ramsdale, would you do it? And his simple answer from him was no. So I put it to you. Would you swap Emi Martinez for Aaron Ramsdale? The question was phrased to Arteta relatively similarly as well. And he managed to sidestep it as he does. I'm going to try and sidestep it myself and say a little bit too early. <laughs> a little bit too early, just because Ramsdale has played, what, five, six games for Arsenal? I don't think you can decide whether Emi Martinez is a better or worse goalkeeper off the back of that. Mm. Um, it depends because if you look at the two side by side and compare them, Martinez, I think, is a better goalkeeper. But in terms of career trajectories, sorry, um, Ramsdale was only 23, so he's going to get better, whereas Martinez is a little bit older. Um, but I, I don't know if I would right now uh, turn down Emi Martinez. I think he's a fantastic goalkeeper. And I, I was gutted to see him leave Arsenal, even though the circumstances probably were right for him to go. I, I think that that uh, sort of summer, the way that all worked out, is often presented as an either-or between him and Bern Leno. I think Arsenal wanted to keep both, but the offer came in for Emi Martinez. It didn't come in for Bern Leno, so that's why they ended up selling him. And Martinez obviously wanted to be first choice. So yeah. I think that was the main reason why. Um so my, I, I disagree with Chris uh, if, in, in answer to your question. I tried sidestepping. I didn't do it very well. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I like Ramsdale, though. I shouldn't, I shouldn't say that I don't, but I think mm. Martinez is the better keeper of the two. I, yeah, I, I do. When, when I phrased the question, I suppose it was like, if you had the chance to swap them right now, would you? I lean towards no, not because I think that Ramsdale is an out-and-out -out better goalkeeper. Uh, I think you raised the key point in that he's 23 breaking into a Premier League side. It took Martinez a lot longer than that, and he's not going to have as much shelf life as, as you imagine a top kind of elite level goalkeeper as Ramsdale prospectively will, uh, breaking into the team so young. So I feel like I wouldn't swap them, but I wouldn't sit here and outright say that Ramsdale's a better goalkeeper than than Emi Martinez. And I mean, last season, I thought Martinez was arguably probably the league's best goalkeeper. So to suddenly say after five, six games that Ramsdale is better than last season's top keeper would be quite a bit of a stretch. But I wouldn't swap them at this stage. So th yeah, there's I that as well. Fair. 
We are going to go to your questions in the chat box very soon. So if you do have any uh, opportunity to ask a question, you do right now, please do throw a question into the chat and we'll try and go through some in the last 10 minutes or so of the show that is left. Before we do, though, I'm really interested, Kaya, to get your thoughts around the African Cup of Nations impact because some stuff is, some information is bleeding through the fault lines of social media at times and saying that there's, it could be if, say, one of the African nations reaches the final of, of AFCON, be out for as many as eight Premier League games and as early as Boxing Day, we could see players missing. Have you, I mean, have you heard anything dissimilar to that or how much you buy into that and how much you think it's going to affect us if that's the case? I, I didn't know about Boxing Day. I thought mm. the, the AFCON starts at the end of January. It's when the it not, nations so. might call their players up to like get to the camp right. in, and, and, you know, like they have pre-Euro yeah, and pre-World yeah, yeah. Cup, of course. Those, yeah, yeah. those things normally don't last more than a week. Um, so mm. I don't think Boxing Day... I think the the players would at least be around until that first round of FA Cup fixtures, isn't it? It's going to yeah. be the first weekend of January when we see those FA Cup fixtures come into play. So I think we'll have uh, Arsenal. will have um, who is it? Abamyang, Pepe, Elneny, and Party. All four of them will be available until probably mid January, by the looks of things. Um, then yeah, then that's the that's the 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 way of it. It's just if if one of the teams get towards the final and Egypt, Ghana, Ivory Coast are all among the favourites. I think Gabon less so, but those three are very strong nations in the African uh, footballing setup. So there's a possibility that all three of them will go quite deep into the tournament and Arsenal are going to have to try and come up with um, solutions for that because they've known it was going to be a thing since what I think I remember first writing about it in the, the March international break of earlier this year. So yeah. it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a, a thing for Arsenal. It might be interesting to see if just with Sambi struggles at the minute, Xhaka being ruled out until the new year, whether Arsenal will look to go and maybe bring a midfielder in or something like that, whether they'll recall Miguel Aziz from Portsmouth where he's hardly playing, uh, whether yeah. Patino might get a chance to play in the senior team. I can't see that happening myself, but it's, it's interesting to think as a possibility. So, yeah, AFCON is something that Arsenal are going to have to deal with. I don't think they'll lose players um, for eight Premier League games. I think, A, I don't think they'd allow it. And I think um, it's not just Arsenal who would lose those players as well. It's worth considering Liverpool, Salah and Mane, their two best players... Yeah will both yeah. be going. So plenty of teams will lose really important players. Chelsea will lose Edouard Mendy, which means they'll have Kepa in goal. Things like that will be huge um, for the Premier League and the title race and just in general. So Arsenal aren't the only team that are going to have to deal with it. And I think I don't think they're going to be missing for eight Premier League games. I think that's maybe overstating it a little bit. I think the likelihood is they'll be missing for a few and hopefully from another perspective, uh, not too many. Yeah, fingers crossed that that is certainly the case. Um, let's see what some of you guys are saying in the chat box and we'll react to some of these comments. Um, Stephen says, we are suffering from a lack of experience at the moment. That was always going to be the case. Ramsdale is our goalkeeper. Sod the Villa keeper, which is fair enough from Stephen. It's, do you think that Arteta has yet to kind of find the balance of experience and youth in this Arsenal team? We saw obviously six players that were 23 and under brought in in the summer which when you hear kind of some of the, the info about Edu's strategy to blend youth with world-class experience, it does kind of point towards the next push in the transfer window to be more down that world-class experience level of, of that. And it's easy to speculate and say that, but when you see six young kids come in, it does make you think, well, when's the, the world-class experience ones coming in? I think a lot of that depends on whether Arsenal are in Europe next season. If they're not in Europe, it's obviously very difficult to attract the, the world-class experience mm. players you mentioned. It's interesting with Arsenal's recruitment since Arteta came in because his first three signings were Pablo Marie, Cedric and Willian, all of whom are approaching the end or towards the latter stages of their career. 
So I, I don't know if um, Arteta necessarily wanted to go down Project Youth or whether it's been sort of forced on his plate, um, for mm. want of a better turn of phrase, but that's what Arsenal are going for right now. And the squad is a little bit disjointed in terms of the really young players who we've seen coming in the summer and who are playing right now. And the older players like Eurobamiang, Lacazette, Jacka Party, there's not really much in between. There's not really very many players who are sort of in what you call, I guess, peak ages around 25, 26. I can think of Nicola Pepe and then my mind starts to go blank really beyond that. So yeah, so Nenny Cedric, um... <laughs> <laughs> exactly Aubameyang like is it <laughs> yeah, yeah it's about exactly it. all the big mm. names um, so I think <laughs> yeah and that's something Arsenal are going to have to deal with but I, I remember it being an issue um, when Arsenal first moved to the Emirates with that original project youth thing and Arsenal found a way of dealing with it then um, they'll have to find a way of, of dealing with it again and hopefully that team was a consistent top four side I'd love for the current Arsenal crop to do something similar so it's possible it can be done and fingers crossed they can repeat that feat again Hopefully so. Uh, King, uh, there's obviously with the, the mood of kind of the fans at the moment, there is naturally questions towards the, the manager. Um, King's asking, should Arsenal look, if they do decide to move on from Arteta, to hire an attacking coach, someone who masters that attacking game? And would Arteta even change his style, say? I suppose the question's more angled towards adding someone to his backroom staff that could provide more of an attacking style to Arteta's game, who has improved us defensively, but has struggled to get the goals from this side. Yeah, they've got quite offensively minded backroom staff at the minute. If you look at the the analysts, um, I think Carlos Cuesta and Miguel Molina, they mm. both come from quite an attacking philosophy. Uh, Nicolas Jovet, who's the uh, Nicolas Jovet, who's the set piece coach, has come from Manchester City, so obviously very attacking philosophy there. Steve Round um, worked with David Moyes at Everton, so maybe that's his direct assistant, so maybe a little bit more defensive. And obviously, Albert Stoidenberg, who is the him of the, the famed earpods on the uh, Arsenal touchline, he mm. has spent time in Belgium, has worked with Wales as well. So maybe, I think, maybe a little bit more defensively minded there. I don't know. Um, I don't know if Arteta would listen to uh, coach. I, I, I'd love to find out how the internal dynamics of that work. I'd like to think that they're all quite collaborative. And when Mikel Arteta got his um, Manager of the Month awards, he immediately dedicated it to all his backroom staff. So that would suggest they're all on the same page. If a more attacking coach were to come in, maybe they'd make a difference. But you have to bear in mind that the manager is the boss. So he can suggest what he likes and Arteta doesn't have to listen to it. He might, might listen to it, might not. So whether just the answer is bringing in a more attacking coach, I don't know. And I don't really know if there's a space in the setup four more attacking coach right now. I think Arsenal are pretty sorted in the backroom staff front. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if um, a new attacking coach would, would make a difference. I'd, I'd like to think that maybe there'd be a little bit more experience. I do worry sometimes just because a lot of that Arsenal backroom staff, well, a few of those Arsenal backroom staff are a little young, so they've not got that much um, senior experience. But Arteta, I think, has been allowed to bring in whoever he wants, coaching-wise, and um, it's you know that's that's the way he's choosing to do things at the minute. This is a, a bit of a left field one from Pablo. It says, if the option of a certain young Frenchman at central midfield uh, came up to take him back from his loan in January as we would be without Partey, would you do it? Not whether it's actually possible, but if it was available, would you do it? <laughs> you want to play William Saliba in midfield? That's good. Four. Uh, <laughs> no. oh, he's mastering the deflection. <laughs> uh, yes, I'm getting better. I'm getting better. No, um, when do he? No, for me. Um, I think Arsenal need to move on from Mateo Guendouzi. I saw the... Um, the the sort of narrative around him coming back off, off the back of that um, game where he scored two, two and got an assist yeah. mm. for Marseille. 
those games with Guendouzi are very few and far between. We saw he played over 80 games for Arsenal. I think he scored once in his time with the Gunners. So I, I don't think he's yeah. the solution to Arsenal's creative problems. I he is having a good season though, isn't he? Like he is being very yeah, good. Yeah, but he's spent time criticising his other teammates. He's undermined the manager. I don't think that would look great if Arteta was to then bring him back. And I think, um, I don't think he's positionally disciplined enough to succeed in the Premier League um, mm. myself. I think the the French league is a lot, maybe a lot lower quality than the Premier League. So maybe that explains why he's succeeding so much out there. I don't think, um, I don't really think he's that better, that much better than any of the midfield options Arsenal have right now. So for me, uh, it would be 100% no uh, looking at bringing back Matteo Guendouzi. And I think he's there for the season anyway. As far as I know, there's no recall clause inserted in that deal. So um, unfortunately, even if we wanted it to, uh, that would be impossible. Craig Barlow in the chat agrees. Says, I agree, Arsenal should cut ties with Genduzi. Um, Lastly, from A.A. Ron saying, uh, do you think that Arteta will still see out his contracts until 2023, regardless of our league position this season and qualifying for Europe? Kind of asking along those lines of, are Arsenal committing to this guy no matter where we finish sort of thing? Um, I'm pretty sure, unless it gets really, really bad, he'll get it till the end of the season. Um, I think, so that's what, 2022. Mm. Um, then... If Arsenal outside of Europe at the end of the season, maybe there's a conversation to be had. I think it depends if there's green shoots um, of promising development. I personally can't see those coming right now. Um, so I think I, I don't think Arsenal are wedded to seeing Arteta's contract all the way through to 2023. I don't think I think it's not really like with a player's contract. I guess where if um, the player's running out, you sort of think I oh, will stick with him until the end of the contract. Because what's the worst that could happen? Manager is everything to a team so if it's not working then Arsenal can't really afford to hang around until 2023 on the off chance things might improve I think if things continue to be this bad and Arsenal finish outside Europe again next season then I, I personally would be surprised if um, Mikel Arteta was to stay in his job into next season I think Arsenal would have to look mm. at making a change but having said that I don't really know who's out there who could be able to come in so it's a, it's a tricky decision and I don't think one will realistically be talking about at least until May of next year yeah, I, I think if Arsenal maintain kind of where we are right now up until Christmas, it still won't be a, a conversation that we're having. Maybe when we get into kind of March time, if we're still away from that top six, possibly that'll be when we have more conversations, but it will be conversations about the end of the season, not about him leaving mid-season still. And Arsenal don't, even with Unai Emery who left mid-season, they still don't strike me as a side that are gearing up for a mid-season managerial change, that's for sure. Um, Kai, thank you so much for your time as always, mate. Really appreciate you coming on. Tell people where they can find you. No worries. Uh, you can find me, there's my little Twitter handle right beneath my face there, at KaiKai97. Also, of course, on the Football London website and I have a Facebook page, KaiKai Journalist, where you can find me on uh, there. So, yeah. Absolutely. And, of course, your, one of your most recent pieces talking about Miguel Aziz's uh, struggles at Portsmouth so far. Definitely a good read if you haven't already checked it out. So make sure you. you do go and read that. Uh, you can find myself at Tom Cantamedia and you can follow the Arsenal Way at the Arsenal Way N5 on Twitter. And as Kai said, please do go check out all of our associated articles over at football.london. We will see you very, very soon tomorrow, of course, for the Arsenal Agenda show leading up to the game in which there will be a match reaction show on the channel. And if you want to watch back Mikel Arteta's press conference, you can do that as well on the channel too. So make sure you drop a like on today's show, subscribe if you're new and keep following us down the Arsenal way. Oh!